This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm so glad you are here today. If this is your first time, welcome. We are in part seven of a series called Flipped. It's a journey through the Beatitudes. It was Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12 that we've been going through. Every summer we love to just do a deep kind of dive into um, a, maybe a book of the Bible or a certain um, set of scriptures. And this summer it has been so fun as we have gone through the Beatitudes. And we're calling it Flipped because what Jesus does in the Beatitudes is he takes the way of culture. He takes the way of the world and then he brings the kingdom way to it. And it's, it's the culture that is flipped. So the kingdom way of living and culture's way of living is not the same. And so he flips it and then he preaches this famous sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know how you feel about the Beatitudes, if you've been with us through some of these, or maybe you've even been listening as you've been traveling, but I know for me, I feel like these messages hurt so good. It hurts so good. I, I feel like it's taking what I, how I am naturally wired in my flesh and Jesus is calling me to be flipped, to live in the spirit, to submit these fleshly ways that I, I am. We'll call them my growth opportunities and my personality. And, and Jesus wants to come and flip some of those things and call me to submit all of these things about how I am unto him. And so the Beatitudes kind of can feel like a spiritual CrossFit in a way. Do I have any CrossFit fans out here? Uh, hey, y'all my people, because me neither. When Landon even started going to Orange Theory and he was going to the gym, he'd come home and he'd just tell me how awful it was and how much it hurt and how painful it was. And then he would say, you would love it. You should come with me. And I'm thinking, no, nah, I don't think I will. I don't think I will. I'm going, the kind of squats I will do are diddly squats. And the kind of lifting I'm going to do is lift my, my burdens to Jesus. And I'm going to walk with the Lord daily. I will run from sin. These are the kinds of things that I will do. Sometimes there's a, it hurts so good kind of way. And I feel like the Beatitudes are kind of that. And so as we look at it today, I want us to be on the same page about what a Beatitude is. What kind of attitude should we be with? This is the kind of attitude we should have. So here it is. A Beatitude is, here's the definition, perfect blessedness, supreme blessedness, state of utmost bliss. It comes from the Greek word makarios, which means to be fully satisfied, fully satisfied. And if you remember back in the day when you used to watch TV and you had to be subjected to commercials before streaming, our kids don't know that life. Most ads, most commercials, and you'll notice it even on the internet, most, most advertisements are trying to pull us into, they're trying to offer us a way of life that promises us this. You will be supremely blessed if you buy this or if you have this or if you look like this or if you wear these clothes or drive this car or have this boat, then you will be supremely blessed. You will be fully satisfied if you eat this food or you go to these restaurants or you take this vacation, then you will be supremely blessed. And as we've unpacked throughout this series, that's not the same thing that Jesus calls blessed. 
So he takes this culture's way of, being, of, of thinking about what it means to be blessed, and then he flips it. Supreme blessedness. This supreme blessedness, this kind of definition, is dependent upon the fulfillment of the conditions set in the Beatitudes. So to have this kind of fully satisfied, fully blessed kind of life, it's dependent upon the fulfillment of living out these Beatitudes. And so today, let's, let's go ahead and, and look at the Sermon on the Mount, what these Beatitudes are. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we, we don't like this part, but we like this part. This part kind of sounds awful, actually. Hurts so good, but we like this part of it. And it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And here we are today, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I thought, I couldn't think of anything more boring to preach about today than being a peacemaker. And in fact, I started a fight about it. I was like, I, I started, I was like, a peacemaker? I would rather be a troublemaker. I would rather go do something that would get me arrested than to be a peacemaker. I'm like hollering at him in the office. They were laughing. I was like, I'm not going to preach on being a peacemaker. The Lord, the, the word says in Isaiah, the Lord named me my name. Church, y'all need to know my first name. If you were to do a name study, like when you're, you know, like you look up the, meaning and all of that of your name. My first name means famous warrior, female war, some kind of maiden warrior with like Irish origins and all of that, a warrior. And I'm like, I get that. And you should know that my middle name means a fair-headed warrior. Twice I am named this by the Lord according to scripture. So when we do sermons like building and fighting, I'm here for that. That's my natural disposition. I am here for that. If, if something needs to be stirred up, I'm, I will be there with the pot. I'm a, like if it just gets boring enough, there's too much peace, let's go find some trouble to get into. I literally couldn't think of anything more boring. Confession time. Thank you for being here for me today. So it's not always easy. Some of, some of the meekness, the worst one than peacemaking would be meekness. <laughs> and then Crystal preached this amazing message about bringing our passion and our boldness and submitting it to Christ. I was like, okay, okay, girl, you got me. You got me good with that one. And as I've unpacked and studied myself and learned about what it is to be a peacemaker, I'm excited to bring this message to you today. I'm excited to share it with you as we unpack it where it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Not, not peace lovers, not fans of peace, not peacekeepers. So fellow troublemakers in the house, anybody else? Like you'd rather go get arrested than find a way to make peace. Anybody? All right. He makes all kinds. And you know, like when we do growth track and we'll take a spiritual gifts test, it never fails to amaze me how awful of a human I am. <laughs> when we take the spiritual gifts test and the gift of, of justice doesn't actually show up on it. Gift of boldness, of courage, it's not actually there, but the gift of mercy is, but it's like non-existent on my results. It's like non-existent. I was like, God, like, I'm just gonna move off to the mountains. I don't even know what I have to offer these people, like a gift of mercy. But 
God is calling us to live in the spirit and it's oftentimes contrary to that of our flesh. He calls us and he wants us to fully give ourselves to him. And it says the old is gone. We are made new. We are flipped in the name of Jesus. And, and even culturally, when Jesus is sharing this, it was culturally flipped in Jesus' time because this was not a culture that also loved peace. This was a bloodthirsty, violent culture. We also are a culture that is oddly obsessed with violence. And if you were to think about it in the context of when Jesus preached this message, it would have been like in the Roman gladiator time, where we're not only here to watch you fight, but we want to we want to see you chop his head off. And don't just chop his head off. Pick it up by the hair on his scalp and hang it up and let us see. And then shout to the crowd, are you not entertained? This is what we are here for. The violence, it entertains us. We're bloodthirsty. We want more of it. Like, you know, when people would get in a fight in school and everybody would gather around, they'd be like, fight, fight, fight. And people would come like, yeah, everybody wants to watch it. We love fighting. We love violence. And yet Jesus comes and he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So let's see how Jesus actually flips this. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What kind of peace are we talking about? Here's a definition for peace. Here's our definition for uh, the word. It actually comes from a word, shalom. You may know somebody named Shalom. It's actually a pretty popular name, but it means it's, it's where we get the word peace from. And here's the definition. It's a wholeness, a completeness, a fulfillment, and a rest, living without deficiency or lack. So this is where we're going today, a wholeness, a completeness that we have in Jesus, not lacking anything. And interestingly, this is the seventh beatitude, and the number seven in the Bible symbolizes perfection. That there's this, this state of supreme blessedness when we are peacemakers. We shall be called children of God. So a wholeness, a completeness. And, and Jewish culture would have seen peace as the highest ideal of life. And so here, here Jesus is, blessed are the peacemakers. There was a time where we were out on a mountain and, and we've all been traveling. Everybody traveled this summer and I was having a conversation with one of our dream teamers earlier about all the different kinds of mountain ranges and how they each bring beauty in their own way. And I was reminded about a time where I was um, in Montana and I was on the mountain there in Montana. Is it the Bighorn Mountain? I think that's what it's called. And it was so windy and everything was like flying around. There's debris flying. And we left the top of the mountain and it felt like we might have gotten blown off of this mountain. The wind was blowing so, so strong. And so we left and we went down. And, and even though we knew the wind was still blowing because we could see it, we could hear it, we could see all the debris flying everywhere. Once we got down into this valley, there was this stillness. There is this peace that came from being down in there. So we could see it, we could feel it, we could hear it, but we were experiencing peace. We were like in a cocoon of peace in the midst of everything. So I just want to kind of keep that picture in our mind today as we're talking about this, because I believe that we live in a world where we need peace more today than ever before. More than ever before, the world around us, your coworkers, your neighbors, your kids, your family members, our church, people need the peace that comes from God now more than ever. Now more than ever, as, as stuff is flying around and, and maybe the winds are blowing and it feels turbulent and wild, we can still experience this peace that comes from 
from Jesus. And we often think of peace as an absence of something. Uh, Peace is an absence of war. Peace is an absence of having to go to a certain job. Peace is an absence of maybe a certain somebody at that job. Peace would be an absence of a fear or an anxiety or a habit or something. It's an absence of something. I want to challenge you today that peace is not an absence of something, but it's an in the presence of somebody. So it's not an emptying, emptying out of or getting rid of. It's a being filled up by Jesus. It's being filled up with his peace. And so the song says that we look for love in all the wrong places. I don't disagree. But today, I think that we also look for peace in all of the wrong places. A spa day, a me day, a vacation, a trip, some time off, drugs, alcohol, pornography, internet stuff, mindless scrolling, maybe even exercise and all those things. I think that we are looking for peace when we're just going to these things almost insatiably. Relationships, maybe just mentally checking out, just looking for some peace. Matthew 5, 9, our verse for today says, blessed are the peacemakers. So we're not to only have peace, but we are to do peace, the maker part. It's this this sense of we are to do peace. We're to make peace as well. We're to have peace and we are to make peace. So my fellow troublemakers in the house, this is our invitation to meddle. This is our invitation to see where there is an absence of wholeness, an absence of completeness, where there's maybe brokenness, and to bring the peace of God to that situation. We're invited into it. And here's our bottom line for today. We are never more like God than when we take the wholeness and completeness, the shalom of God we have into a world that desperately needs it. So how are we going to be peacemakers? In a world that is so polarized, and studies have shown that social media has significantly polarized us more than any other time in history. We're polarized. We're, you, you could choose a side for anything. Are you on team Will Smith? Or are you on team Chris Rock? What team are you on? You pick it, we can fight about it. We can choose a side. We can fight about it. We can be polarized over anything. You add that with our violent, obsessed culture that we're immersed in, how in the world are we supposed to make peace in a world like this? Well, the first thing is, is that we have to experience peace in our own hearts. We have to experience peace. I'm gonna give you three E's to make it easy. The first one is experience. We have to experience peace in our hearts. We have to look for peace in the right place because we cannot give what we don't have. So we have to experience peace and that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So we have to have peace in our own hearts. So the first thing is we have to experience peace with God. We have to first experience peace with God. But look at Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. I just think we could stop right here. If we had an organ, we could have a praise break for 30 seconds and just praise God for the fact that we have been made right in God's eyes. That we, we have been made right. We could just sit there for a moment and just meditate on that thought that we have been made right in God's eyes. As, as with all of my sin, with all of the times I messed up, with all of the things I've done and not done and should have done and wish I hadn't done, with all of that, I've been made right in God's eyes. This is the too good to be true good news of the gospel. We've been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God. He's not looking to smite you. 
Did you just quote Bruce Almighty in your head? He is not looking to smite you. He is not the Almighty smiter. He is not looking to smite you. The word says we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So it's not that I have to obtain something. It's not that I have to behave a certain way. It's not that I can do anything or have anything. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's because Jesus Christ was born into this world full of sin. And he himself went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead. And because he rose from the dead and he conquered death, we have been made right in God's sight. Before Jesus, we're talking Old Testament, they had to crucify, or not crucify, that'd be weird. They had to sacrifice animals for their sins. The Bible says that the, the price for sin, the cost of sin is death. The price for sin is death. We have to pay a price for our sin. In the Old Testament, they paid that price through the death of an animal. And Jesus comes, and he's the, he is the sacrifice for our sin. He has given us this gift. He has willingly paid the price for us. He has paid a debt that we could not. He gave his own life for us, and that is good news for us today. So people don't go to hell because God doesn't love them or because God is mad at them. They've gone to hell because they chose not to accept the free gift that pays for their sin. So back to our verse in Romans, we've been made right in God's sight. By faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This is good news. That's what the gospel means. The gospel means good news. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have peace with God. So if we're going to experience peace, and we're going to experience peace in our hearts, we can experience peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And even culturally, a part of the way that this is flipped is culturally there was a, a phrase, and it was Pax Romana. Make sure I don't get this wrong. Pax Romana. It means Roman peace. And the Romans had a way of obtaining peace, which went like this. If you're my enemy, I will crucify you on the cross. That's where my enemies go. This is how Rome kept peace is they crucified their enemies. And then Jesus comes and says, while you are still my enemy, I will die for you. He totally flips it. And this kind of shalom and peace is available to us and we can have it, but can, it can only be found in Jesus Christ alone. So today may be the day for you to meet and live with and accept the Prince of Peace into your life today. And once we have peace with God, once we have been reconciled to him, then we can experience peace within ourselves. We can have peace with God and peace with ourselves. Here's a famous verse that you may have tattooed on you somewhere or on a sign in your home or on a bumper sticker. Maybe it was a sticker on your water bottle or your trapper keeper. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God. So this peace we're talking about, this is how we obtain it. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We love the don't be anxious part. Like I want that. That's the peace I want. I don't want to be anxious about anything. Here's how you get that. The verse gives us the answer. It says, by prayer. We obtain the peace that can only come from Christ through prayer. 
being in his presence, spending time with him. Prayer and petition. What does petition mean? If you've ever been a kid, know a kid, have a kid, seen a kid, you know what it is to petition because you've seen them at the grocery store in the checkout line. No one knows how to petition better than a kid at the checkout line. It's called pester power. And the marketers know that if you put things at this level in the checkout line, you just want to get out of the store. Yes, kids will petition. Kids understand the art of petition. The kids will ask over and over for something. And, and we, we listen to our kids. My kids are very persistent. I pray that this will be used for good in their life someday. But last night at the store getting ready for camp, I was a little exhausted by saying no to the same petitions over and over and over again. But prayer, prayer is bringing our situation to God. Prayer is bringing um, all of us to God in prayer. And then we can petition God. We can make, make a request to God. God, would you open the store? God, would you make a way? God, would you provide the right job? God, would you give me peace in this situation? God, would you heal my family member? God, would you, we need a, a financial breakthrough in this area. Would you lead us in the right direction for school? Would you open the doors that you would have us go through? You can petition God by making requests to him. So prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving is in the prayer part, not in the thank you, God, for the answered prayer. And I think when we pray, when we pray with thankfulness on the onset, as we're petitioning, as we're making requests, and if it's done with thankfulness, it positions us to, to relate to God as sovereign. God, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you know all things. I thank you that you know what's best for me. God, I thank you that you are trustworthy, that I can trust you in all things, that I'm asking for this, but if you don't answer it in the way and the time and, and all the things that I think you should, God, I'm thankful for you anyway, because I thank you that I know you're watching out for me, and I thank you that you are good, and I thank you that you love me, and I thank you that you work all things together for good. So we, can, we, we approach God in prayer through petition with thanksgiving. We bring our request to God. And when we do that, the word says that we have a certain kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. So you can be in this little cocoon of, of peacefulness with God because you've spent time with him in prayer, even when everything is flying around. Even when there's debris flying around and, and even when the winds are blowing and, and even when things are uncertain and, and, and depending on how you grew up, you're hoping you've got enough tires on your roof because this wind is wild. You can still have this certain kind of peace. So peace comes from prayer, talking to God. And I saw this quote and I wanted to share it with you. It says, when a problem causes you to lose your peace... Don't hurry to resolve the problem in hopes of regaining peace, but first regain peace and then see what can be done about the problem. I think a lot of us are, are, are bent to be problem solvers, which is a good thing. It, it's a good thing to be a problem solver. But a lot of times, I don't know about you, but for me, I try to solve the problem to find my peace rather than finding my peace and then seeing how God would lead me to solve the problem. And I think that's another thing that needs to be flipped. This is the kind of peace that comes from prayer. This is the kind of peace that comes from a lasting relationship with God. Last week, Pastor Landon said, I feel like this is the simplest message ever. Read your Bible. To be pure in heart, read your Bible. Here it is this week. To have peace, pray. Be in prayer. So you can have peace, peace with God. You can have peace with yourself. And you can have peace even in your circumstances. Even in your circumstances, if we're to look back at that verse in Philippians, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every circumstance, 
I don't know about you, but I have been lied to before. I was told to be thankful for every situation. That is not the case. It says in every situation. The truth is that some situations are actually, actually awful. They're horrible. They're demonic. They're painful. They can be terrible. I am not ever thankful for those awful things. I can be thankful in them. In treatment, I can be thankful. In loss, I can be thankful. In sorrow, I can still have a certain kind of peace. In those moments, not necessarily for them, but in them. So we can have peace in our circumstances. John 16, says, I have told you these things. This is what Jesus is saying. So that in me, you may have peace. We need to know the words of God to have the peace of God. So he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you ever feel like all hell is breaking loose and your air conditioner goes out and your car goes out and, and somebody is sick and maybe facing, facing death and just everything is awful and you want to know, God, why? Why is this happening? A couple of thoughts. One thing is that this world is actually not our home. Things do not stay this way. There, there's a better place in heaven where none of these things that we're experiencing that are difficult exist. But also these things can happen. Circumstances can be going on and we can still live in a peace. Our peace is not dependent upon circumstances, but on who Jesus is and his presence in our lives. And I believe that when we go through these difficult things and, and, and maybe we're tempted to lose our peace or maybe the thief is trying to come to steal our peace, that God is always up to something. That God is not unaware, he's not unconcerned, he's not uninvolved, but he has a plan and a purpose for exactly what you're going through. And I believe the thing that you have gone through in the past and maybe that you're going through now, that's the very thing God wants to use through you to help share your story, to bring peace to somebody else as they're going through it. So we have this peace from God. We have the shalom in our hearts. We have it in our circumstances. So we, we experience peace. That's your first E. The second one is we extend peace through our lives. This is actually our job description as Christians. So we don't get to pull the, well, I'm not actually like a peacemaker kind of person. It didn't show up on my spiritual gifts results. So I'm just going to keep being a troublemaker instead. Our job description as Christians is to extend peace through our lives. I want you to think of it as a river versus a lake. A lake is more of a holding tank, like a reservoir of water. But a river flows. A river's going somewhere. A river's bringing to it freshness and life and water and peace. It flows through us. The Bible describes peace as a river. So it's to flow through us. It's to be extended through our lives. And the thing about being a peacemaker, it's not the same as being a peacekeeper. A peacemaker is not silence on issues. It's also not violence. It's not silent and it's not violence. But being a peacemaker, it's an active, engaged response to the world's brokenness. It's actively bringing the peace of God. It's actively bringing God's wholeness to situations that are broken. Even Jesus said, I didn't come for those who are already well. I came for those who are sick. A doctor doesn't go help well people. A doctor helps sick people. We don't need to take peace where there's peace. We take peace where there's brokenness. We take peace where there's unwholeness. We take peace where there's conflict. It's an active, engaged response to the world's brokenness around us. This is our partnership with God. This is how we are on mission with God, is we are his partner bringing peace to the world around us. 
This is our, our to, to my fellow troublemakers in the room. This is the call. This is the invitation for us to bring our boldness, our passion, our courage, but to submit it to Jesus to bring his solution to it, not my own problem solving. And I was reminded of this picture I saw when I was watching a documentary of the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And it was this picture of after the Twin Towers had been attacked and the building was on fire and people are running out, they're running for their lives, they're running for safety, they were running out of the building as they should because it is on fire. There's a picture of somebody who was not actually running out of the building but running into the building and it was a picture of the firemen. There's a picture of a fireman, he had the fire hose and there were several, and they are actually running into the building. They are running to where there was problems. They were running into where there was fire because they knew they had the answer. They knew they had the solution. They didn't have a regard for their own life. It wasn't about a job at that moment. It was, I have what they need and I'm running into it. So this is our call as Christians is we are to go into places where there is an absence of peace and to bring the peace of God to it. We're called to run in. And one of the ways that we will allow peace to be extended through our lives is that we have to stay focused on the real issue. It's not people groups, it's not people, it's not Republicans, and it's not Democrats. It's not politicians, it's none of those things. Here is the real thing. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And this word abundant, the way it's used in this verse is the same exact word where we get the word peace. This word abundantly translated is the word shalom. It's the same word. So Jesus has come so that we can have life fully satisfied, that we can have a fullness and a completeness of God. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we have to stay focused on the real issue. People, politicians, political parties, none of those things are the real issue. The real issue is that it's a, it's a spiritual battle to bring God's peace to it. And we can stay focused on the real issue when we see other people through God's eyes. When we see people as people to be loved, not a problem to be solved, not as someone to reject, but we see them as people to love because culture is constantly telling us how different we all are. But if we see people through God's eyes, we see them as somebody to be loved because in the same way God has reconciled me to himself through the blood of Jesus, he has done that for every single person. The gospel is good news because it's good news to the poor. It's good news to the disenfranchised. It's good news to the marginalized. It is good news to all people. And if we're going to be bringers of peace, we see people through God's eyes. And we don't let the world tell us, we don't let the world tell us of how we treat people differently based on all of our differences. We see people based on the common ground that we share, which is the most important common ground, and it's that they were made in the likeness and the image of God. Every other person walking this planet is made just as much in the image of God as you and as me. There is not one person ever born into this world who does not bear the image of their creator. So when we see people the way that God has seen them, we can have compassion on them. We know that they are deserving and worthy of the same peace that I'm experiencing in my life. And I know sometimes for us in this polarized world, it can be hard to love people who are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum of all the things than we are. And I want to show you this picture of a wagon wheel. It is not Darius Rucker. It is an actual wagon wheel. 
Because all of us are somewhere on this wheel. So say if I'm right here and I want to love the people around me and I want to love really well, I can try really hard and my love might extend out to like here and it'll extend out this way. And if I'm trying really hard and you catch me on a really good day, then I might, it might go out this way a little bit. And I might, you know, on the best of days, my love might reach those this far from me, but I'm limited and how I can actually impact people, especially those on this opposite side of me. But here's one thing that I have learned is that if, I can, if God is in the middle, if we can picture the middle of this wagon wheel as being where God is, and if I can move towards God, and if I can move towards God in love, and if I can see people the way God sees them, if I can love people the way that God loves them, and I see each and every person bearing the image of their creator, and I move towards the middle, now I can reach people that were very far from me. I can reach people very far from me ideologically. I can reach people very far from me politically. I can reach people very far from me theologically. I can, all of the things, I can reach people who I would never be able to reach if I'm just trying to do it in and of myself. But if I can, if I can reach them through the love of God and see them the way that God sees them, then we're able to reach people who are very far from us. So, James 3, 17 and 18 says, which one of my favorite parts of this verse is the last part, but the first part's so good, I didn't want you to miss it. So James 3, 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. Doesn't that sound like a good peacemaking kind of lifestyle? There's wisdom that is pure, it's peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And look at this next part. Here's one of our action steps for today. It says, and those who are peacemakers, here's how we make peace. It says, they will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is, our, this is the mission that we are on, is to, to reap a harvest of righteousness, and that comes from planting seeds of peace. So imagine yourself with a big bag of seeds of peace, and everywhere you go, you are sowing seeds of peace. You go to work, you're sowing seeds of peace. You go out into your neighborhood, you're sowing seeds of peace. Your online behavior, you are sowing seeds of peace. You go to, go to church, sowing seeds of peace. You come home, and you're spending time with your family, or you go spend the holidays with family, you're sowing seeds of peace. Everywhere you go as a Christian, you are called to be sowing seeds of peace. And the thing about sowing is that you reap. And when you sow seeds of peace, the word says that we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Galatians chapter five is, a, is the scripture where we see all about the fruits of the spirit. And the thing about fruit is that none of us ever have, have had a piece of fruit that wasn't yielded by a seed being planted. Fruit only comes from a seed that is planted. So when we talk about fruits of the spirit, peace, love, joy, gentleness, kindness, those things come from planting seeds. And the seeds that we are called to plant are seeds of peace. We experience peace in our hearts. We extend peace through our lives. And the third thing is, is that we evidence peace to the world around us. So we experience, we extend it, and we are evidence of this peace to the world around us. Verse nine in the Beatitudes that we're looking at today, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Not they might be or some will call them, but it says they shall be called sons of God. 
being a peacemaker is what identifies us as children of God. It's not the fights that I have or win. It's not the fights that I abdicate myself from. It's not the silence or the violence. It's not the conflict that I just watch. It's not the conflict that I can stir up, but it's about the seeds of peace that I sow. John 17 says it this way in the message version, verses 22, it says, the same glory you gave me, which this is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to die on the cross. These are the words of our savior. It says the same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved me in the same way you've loved me. Church, we are called to be evidence to the world around us. So we have to have it. We can't give it if we don't have it. We let it flow through us like a river. And that is what evidences the goodness and the love of God to the world around us. So it's flipped in a violent loving culture. We are the evidence of God's goodness. Romans killed their enemies on a cross for peace. Jesus died on the cross for his enemies so that they can have peace. The world tells us to, to crucify people who are on the opposite side of that wagon wheel from us. The world tells us to crucify people who don't uh, agree with you, who don't believe with what you believe, who don't accept your truth for your truth, to just cut them out. Even if they're your parents, cut them out. Don't have anything to do with them, just cut them out. If they're different from you in these areas, you just crucify them, basically. Just, just cancel them, get rid of them. And here's what Jesus tells us to do. He flips it and he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. We don't put people on a cross who are our enemies. We, bring, we take up our cross for our enemies. And we bear the likeness of our heavenly father when we are peacemakers. When we sow seeds of peace, we bear the likeness of our heavenly father. When we let peace flow through us and from us. Here's our bottom line that we started with. It says, we are never more like God then when we take the wholeness and completeness we have into a world that desperately needs it. That is how we'll be like our father. And every Sunday, we end our sermons, we end the message with a response time. And I heard it said this week, described as HBO, you hear, believe, and obey. This, this, the last few moments together we've been hearing and I hope that in your heart, you can believe what God says in his word. And then there's a time for you to obey as well. So the response time is all about you hearing from God and taking that obedience step for what he has next for you to bring the fullness of who we are. And even if it's an old that needs to be made new, maybe something inside of us needs to be flipped. Maybe we need, to, uh, we need a relationship with the Prince of Peace. But as we enter this response time, you'll see there are two tables on both sides and we will also have our prayer partners back there. If you do not know Jesus as your Prince of Peace, but today you wanna say, I want to receive the gift that was given to me so that I can have peace with God, would you please pray with a prayer partner today? Maybe you're facing a situation that, that circumstantially is very difficult to have peace in. We've got an amazing prayer team. You can even write it on your prayer card. You, card, you can leave it in a bucket. And Camille, who leads our prayer team, uh, would love to pray for you in that. Our prayer team prays every Wednesday morning. 
But if we obtain prayer, peace by being in his presence through prayer, let's pray today. Let's, let's pray. Let's, let's be people of prayer. And, and in fact, in a couple of weeks, we're starting 21 days of prayer. And the reason we do this is to help us cultivate the spiritual gift of prayer. Because it's in prayer we obtain that peace. It's in prayer we, we live in peace and experience peace so it can flow out from us. And sometimes I know it can be hard to be a person of prayer. It can be hard for prayer to be a part of our habit. So we like these 21 days of prayer so that we can pray together. So it can be an on, like an on-ramp to reset your prayer habits. And if you feel like maybe the peace meter of your life is a little on empty and you need a fill up, you're going to find that fill up by being in prayer, by being in prayer. In fact, I was, I was thinking about this part of it today. I was listening to an old song. It says, it's the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Anybody know the song? I was listening to it today and I was thinking about you all and I was thinking about this moment. And the song goes like this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. This is what our call is as Christians. And in this moment, in this response time, the next few moments, would you just turn your eyes upon Jesus? Listen to what the song says. It says, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The only place to find peace is going to be found in Jesus. And it's by looking upon his face. It's not in an elected politician. It's not in a political party. It's not going to be in the job or a relationship situation. Circumstances withstanding, we can have peace when we look upon the face of Jesus and we spend time with him in prayer. Part of our response time is prayer. It's that, that, that conversation with God. It's that moment where we were able to talk to him and have him speak to us and we can hear his voice in our lives. And in fact, here's, here's some questions for you to think about in our response time. The first question is, do I, am I experiencing peace? Am I personally experiencing peace in my heart, with God, in my circumstances? And here's, here's really what the question is. Am I spending time in prayer? Because if the first part of that, if your answer is no, then your answer to the next part is probably also no. If you're not experiencing peace, the reality is probably that you're not spending time in prayer. And today can be that reset for you. Part of your response today can be a commitment to be a person of prayer, to spend time with Jesus in prayer. And another question you can ask yourself is, what kinds of seeds am I sowing? And I believe if you ask God this in prayer, that he will show you the answer to that. There's a, a famous prayer in Psalm 139 where it says, search me, O God, and know me. Show me if there's any offensive way in me. Search me, God. So if we just pray that, we'll pray that together in a minute, but am I sowing seeds of discord where I go places? Am I show, sowing seeds of, of strife? Am I sowing seeds of fear? How do people feel when I leave a conversation with them? Do they feel more at peace? Have I sown peace? Do I see the brokenness of the world and am I actively engaging in it or am I abdicating my post as a Christian and staying silent on the issues? So it's not silence, it's not violence, but what kinds of seeds am I sowing? And the third question to consider in our response time is how can I let peace flow through me like a river? How can I let it flow through me like a river? If the Bible describes peace like a river, how can it flow through me? How can it flow through me in my nine to five? What, wherever you spend your day in your nine to five, in your workplace? Where is there brokenness or incompleteness? The people around you who need the peace of God, how can you let it flow through you? How can you let the peace of God flow through you in your home? 
maybe to your neighbors, maybe to your uh, kids' friends who are in and out of your home? How can you let God's peace flow through you? I wanted to share this scripture with you as well. Part of our response time, we have prayer. You can answer these questions. And we also have communion available to you. And I wanted to share this verse with you. It's in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It, it really speaks to the, the reconciliation of Jesus on the cross for us. It says, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So if you'd like to take communion today as part of your response time, this is a great verse to meditate on that. We have peace with God through the blood that was shed on the cross. That is how we have peace with God. And that is something to be grateful for. That is something to be in remembrance of. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to take communion every Sunday and just take a moment of time and prayer and meditation, thinking about how we have peace with God because of the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And as we receive that peace, pray that it will flow through you, that you're not a holding tank, you're not a reservoir of it, but you will be a river where it flows through you. I'd ask you to go ahead and stand as we transition to the response time and the team is going to lead us. I'm gonna pray a prayer over you. And then you are free to respond at the tables with communion or a prayer partner. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us this kind of peace. Thank you for giving us this shalom, for making us whole and complete in you. Lord, would you help us to look to you alone as our source of peace? God, this morning we pursue you through prayer, through worship, and through your word. God, would you fill us with your peace so that we can be carriers of it to the world around us? God, would you help us to be aware of the need for peace around us? God, when everyone else is running out of the fire, Lord, would you give us the courage to run into it in Jesus' name? God, would we not, would we not choose silence? God, would we not see the brokenness around us and abdicate ourselves of any responsibility? God, would we not take our passion and our boldness and our courage and just cause more problems, but God, would we be carriers of your solution to the world's problems around us? God, would you open our eyes? Would we see people the way you see them, worthy of your love, worthy of your peace, worthy of being reconciled to you? God, would we be rivers of this peace? God, would you let it flow through us? God, would we not withhold it from certain people, but God, would we just be open to be used by you, sowing seeds of peace, letting it flow through us wherever we go. And God, we thank you for the blood that was shed for us. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you made us right through your blood that was shed on the cross for us. God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're free to respond. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.